Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly. And of course, our former ITN journo turned pundit, Derek Dyson, will be joining us throughout the show. A heartbreak for the Socceroos against Japan, but the dream has a pulse. We'll look at the game with a man who has seen all the successful and most of the failed campaigns, a legend of Australian football journalism who is as opinionated as ever if his social media is anything to go by. Our good mate and former chief football writer with the Australian, Ray Gatt. Gatti will join us for the post-mortem and a chat about what Graham Arnold and his brains trust need to do to negotiate the trickiest of pass to Qatar. We'll am after that with the latest on Matildas and Socceroos from a club point of view, in particular some of the large group of players who are unavailable for the tie against the Samurai Blue. And of course, the A-League Women's Grand Final is this Sunday. Repeat of last year's between the Premier's Sydney FC and the defending champions Melbourne Victory. We'll talk to the ABC's Stephanie Branch to preview the decider. And of course, we'll wrap it up with stoppage time, where Derek, of course, will dissect the fallout from one of the biggest upsets in football history, North Macedonia's win over Italy in Palermo. Just unbelievable. And, of course, Gareth Bale's heroics for Wales will round out with some of the other big stories of the week as well. But, Edge, as we speak, you're in Sydney. Um, We are less than 24 hours since full-time at Stadium Australia. Um, I guess the reality is beginning to sink in. But after we've seen some of those, well, Italy result in particular, it heartens you to know that, hey, at least we're a chance. We are a chance, and uh, we've got a... We've got a journey ahead of us, haven't we? Uh, obviously, Saudi Arabia is now a dead rubber. So it'll be interesting to see what approach uh, Australia takes to that fixture in Jeddah. But then uh, all roads lead to Doha. On the 7th of June, um, Australia will either play the UAE or Iraq. Uh, Iraq actually beat UAE last night, so they've dialed themselves back into a big chance and probably more likely to qualify third in Group A of the Asian Football Confederations qualifiers. And then the big one, um, should we get through that match, we'll then either play um, most likely Peru, Colombia or Chile uh, against the Commebol fifth-ranked team. So it's all ahead for the Socceroos, but we're still in with a chance. And if you're an Italian fan this morning or today or this weekend, uh, you'll be uh, turning your phone off, not looking at any football news because you'll be down in the doldrums. Well, what about if you're a Northern Macedonian fan? For regular listeners, they've heard my good friend Zlati Angelovsky. He was going through the roof now. Straight gonna, to the bar, I would think they'd well, be the North Macedonian. We're not going to get him on this week. If they beat, Parag- <laughs> uh, they beat uh, uh, Portugal, then we definitely will get him on next week. They'll be, As I said, Rob, they'll be straight to the bar. They will. Well, um, why don't you get us underway, my friend? Yeah, g'day, guys. Tough day to be an Australian. Great day to not be an Italian, if you get what I mean. The Socceroos, though, they've missed out on automatic qualification for the second World Cup running following that 2-0 loss to Japan at Sydney's Olympic Park. Graham Arnold's an inexperienced side were fortunate, I thought, to a level as late as the 89th minute before Kaoru Mitomo scored twice in the dying stages. So a quick word for Japan. That win seals their qualification to a seventh successive World Cup since their first appearance in 1998. What a run they've been on. And it also moves them top of Group B following Saudi Arabia's one or draw with China. Uh, just a sort of statistical pointer to show just how badly the wheels have fallen off this qualification period uh, under Graham Arnold for the Socceroos. When 
we played Japan last time. Heading into that clash, that was the fourth match day. So after three games, uh, we led them by six points on the table. Uh, six matches later, after the ninth game, we've seen a 12-point swing. We now trail by six points, and it could get worse with that game to go in Saudi Arabia. So, Michael, the question should now come for Graham Arnold. Does he get the chance to go to the playoffs? He is contracted and there's a sort of moral stance to say, well, he should be able to see out the mission, but it is a $17 million ticket to the World Cup that uh, uh, you might be missing out on if you go by that sort of moral stance. Uh, I think we've seen across the duration that it wasn't like we, we had a slow start and we've come good or we've dropped points here and there. We've really dropped all the points at the back end and the group for me looked particularly spent on Arandi, so I don't think he should go. Uh, how do you how do you see it? Well, he's had a pretty big week, hasn't he? He uh, tested positive for COVID. He um, broke his COVID isolation, went for a swim, and someone saw him. Um, I understand the Brains Trust at Football Australia all heard about it on the radio via Ray Hadley's show. He then mm. uh, quickly they had a meeting and he was fined $25,000. That's a significant fine. He, he probably got away with um, some fairly strict and scathing media uh, scrutiny just because of what's happening in the media at the moment. There's so much happening. And then obviously um, it all was topped off like... Uh, uh, cream on a chocolate cake with a 2 nil loss to Japan. So he's had probably the worst, one of the worst weeks in his career. Um, I think it's incumbent on the people that are running Football Australia to evaluate whether he is the right person for these two crucial qualifiers and whether Australia is in a better place to win those if there was a new coach with a new voice to freshen up uh, that group, which, as you rightly mentioned, looks pretty out of energy and out of ideas and um, just... For everybody who's listening to this, maybe thinking that Willem and I might be overreacting, uh, sort of talking this way, it was the first time in 40 years mm-hmm. Socceroos yep. lost a World Cup qualifier on home soil. Let that sink in, people. First time in 40 years. Rob, the World Cup is is so important. James Johnson spoken in recent months that missing it from the men's comp- uh, from the men's side of it is no longer the doomsday scenario that it might once have been, given the sort of rise of the Matildas and the growth of other revenue streams. But it is it is that important. Uh, it'd be negligent, wouldn't it, for Football Australia not to at least look at other options or candidates that could be out there? No, they have to be looked at, and you're definitely not overacting. Even uh, as we uh, record the podcast on Friday afternoon after the Thursday night game, uh, Michael Lynch has already published an article in the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald uh, where uh, the um, the long-term, the short-term uh, tenure of, of Graham Arnold is has been questioned. I'll just sort of pricey what, what uh, Lynch has written. He says, there's a growing internal belief that dismissing Arnold could be a circuit breaker and provide a mental and tactical reset for a group of players to breeze through the first phase of Asian qualifying against weak opposition. He goes on to say, and this is a quote from a source, this is a crucial time for the game and there are a lot of questions being asked now about whether Arnold is the man to take the team forward into these games and beyond that. So um, Lynch, doesn't write these articles lightly. He's um, a bloke that uh, that goes by all of the... uh, the uh, correct journalistic standards of, uh, of following up sources and quoting credible sources. So um, for me, if there's smoke, there's fire. And, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, uh, if this really builds up ahead of steam over the course of the next week. We'll move on for the Socceroos for now, but plenty more to discuss throughout the show. Let's round out on the rest of the AFC qualifiers. Over in Group A, we know both South Korea and Iran have qualified, but Iraq, as you mentioned off the top, Michael, have drawn to within a point of the UAE in third. So heading into the final match day, as it stands, the UAE are third on nine points, and they'll be up against it, you'd think, to add to that tally when they host South Korea on Wednesday. 
day. And just an hour or so after that match concludes, Iraq, who currently sit fourth with eight points, uh, will fancy themselves, you would have thought, to beat bottom-placed Syria uh, with that match to be played uh, as Syria's home match, but on neutral territory in the UAE. So, uh, yeah, late run there for Iraq. Could see them into third. uh, And then that would see us meet them in Doha in the middle of the year. Let's turn our attention to Europe, Rob. I can spare you no longer, unfortunately, and to, uh, to Damo on the buttons there as well. History has repeated itself in the most galling fashion possible for the Azuri. They've missed qualification for a second successive World Cup, either side of winning the European Championship. They needed to beat North Macedonia and then either Portugal or Turkey to reach Qatar, and they've stumbled at the first hurdle, stung by Alexander Tchaikovsky's goal in the 92nd minute. Italy lose possession, and it's worth a crack! It's just astonishing! North Macedonia striking and in time! And there is Bedlam in the stands of Lorenzo Barbera! The former Palermo player, Tchaikovsky! With the sweetest hit you can imagine. Now, Rob, I don't have any Italian connection, but I feel a little bit of connection to this story. We've covered it across the uh, the last year or so on Box to Box. Uh, obviously, they missed out against Sweden in 2017, and then you know we got to we got to know Adriano Del Monte. Uh, we we watched them go throughout the the Euros under the sort of uh, humble charm and craft of Roberto Mancini and it seemed like uh, redemption was sort of halfway there it's just it's it's staggering really that they've uh, they've missed it again uh, and and so badly it appears that that shirt uh, it's often said about the English shirt that it weighs heavy uh, on the players it looks like that shirt's really starting to weigh uh, heavily on the Azuri boys yeah look it is but I guess you know you got to have you have to look at it from the other angle as well and and let's not forget um, North Macedonia did not embarrass themselves by any stretch in the euros they were competitive in most of the, in all of their matches in fact and and just prior to that they they'd beaten a, a very um, strong german side in in a friendly as well so you know they they're not um, absolute duffers and and even though they went into the matches 17 to 1 outsiders um, you know 17 to 1 is is not absolute blowout so the form um, analysts certainly had them in there with a chance. Uh, and, and you know, the, the Azuri, as you say, as that match wore on, they had uh, 32 shots on goal. Um, and seriously, some of them should have gone in. I mean, how some of those goals, those attempts on goal uh, didn't end up in the back of the net is, is behind mystifies uh, um, imagination and I, and I sent a message to just minutes before the goal to, to my mate Salati saying the longer this goes in regulation time the, the more chance I give North Macedonia of nicking one late and uh, and no sooner did I t- send that message to him than it happened uh, so so look it's gut-wrenching for fans of the Azzurri there are just so many of them around the world obviously in Italy but uh, uh, in, uh, in in other countries around the world. There's so many big Italian communities. Everyone listens to this show and you guys know that, uh, you know, I married into a family for 30 years and we went down to Carlton and watched all the European action. And it was just fantastic. So so the messages that I'm getting from the community that I live amongst and friends as well, they're, they're just absolutely gutted. But um, the Northern Macedonian fans, 180 degrees in the other direction. So, look, yeah, I mean, look, it doesn't feel like two World Cups in a row without Italy 
I just it just saddens me even with my bias. Edge, you've delighted in uh, two-footing our friends from North Macedonia, but it is a bit of a golden era for them, isn't it? And the, the Euros, to an extent, were at the time considered the end of an era with Goran Pandev, their sort of uh, generational legend leading the line, but he's gone and that hasn't stopped the uh, the golden run. How do you feel today uh, as a, a long-time sort of friendly foe of the, uh, the North Macedonians? Oh, I've got plenty of um, Macedonian friends as well as obviously my uh, Greek friends at my club Heidelberg, but um, look, uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful story. It's just a beautiful uh, narrative that football can throw up from time to time. They've got to play Portugal, is that right, Willem? They've yeah, they've got Portugal. Yep. Yeah, Portugal in the uh, the next one, and you'd have to say after rolling Italy uh, away from home, um, they they will go in with great confidence, and the fairy tale will continue. But football throws up these fairy tales, it really, really does. And I mean, while we're focusing on Europe, but um, let's just have a bit of a, a thought for the Middle Eastern countries uh, that have qualified now for um, the World Cup uh, in their own region. Uh, Saudi Arabia, the latest one to be added to that list. Congratulations to them. Um, and, you know, the Saudis will be there, the Iranians will be there, the Qataris will be there. Uh, I just wonder what other Arabic uh, friends will join them. Will it be Iraq um, if they beat Australia? Will it be UAE if they beat Australia? Will it be... Um, Egypt, uh, Morocco, uh, uh, Tunisia. So, look, you know, the um, football is a beautiful thing and uh, North Macedonia has just written uh, more folklore about uh, giant killing uh, giant killing runs in World Cup qualification. So, well done to them. I'm sure they're celebrating long and hard and will be setting themselves for a pretty big match against Portugal. And there's another extraordinary story simmering in Europe as well. Gareth Bale, he's helped Wales past Austria with two magnificent strikes of his left foot. So he's brought them to within one game of their second World Cup appearance ever and what would be their first in 64 years. They're going to have to wait until June at the earliest to find out their next opponent as that will come from either Scotland or Ukraine. Uh, so, yeah, remarkable there from Wales. That could be uh, extraordinary, particularly if they meet Scotland or if they meet Ukraine. Big stories for uh, big stories for very different reasons. And then Portugal, as we said, they have set up that meeting with North Macedonia. They beat Turkey 3-1, but they were a little bit fortunate in that Burak Yilmaz, who's sort of very much the uh, the head of the Turkish attack, uh, blew a penalty that would have brought it back to 2-2. So that was a little bit wasteful. And then in the final qualifier, or the final playoff, I should say, Sweden took until extra time uh, to put together a lovely team move that was finished by Robert Kaysson. I think that was probably the, uh, the most dour of the qualifiers. They got past the Czech Republic 1-0, but that was certainly a winner uh, worthy of moving them on. So that leaves us with... On Wednesday morning, uh, Australian time, Portugal against North Macedonia in Porto and Poland against Sweden. Stick around after the break. We dragged Ray Gatt out of retirement. He's never been short of an opinion in his entire career. He's still sitting there on Twitter punching out opinions on football and politics and all sorts of things. I spoke to Gatti before uh, the game and he said, yep, yep, I'll be watching it and I will come on and have a yarn with you boys about it. And he's just about to do that. So stick around. Ray Gatt next on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. This is Box to Box. And we said off the top that... uh, Our first guest is a legend of Australian football journalism. He's been there for all of the successful and most of the failed campaigns over the years. And I guess uh, right now he's starting to feel like this may be one of the latter former chief football writer with the Australian, Ray Gatt. Gatty, thanks for taking the the rug off the knees and dusting off the microphone, mate. Yeah, thanks, Rob. It's been a a while. I've tended to try and stay in the background since I've been retired and and leave it to the younger brigade that... uh, just because you're an old fearful Pats boy, yeah, I'm happy to help out today. 
<laughs> Good on you, mate. And and you obviously watched the game um, in detail. Yeah. I was uh, uh, monitoring your Twitter account, and um, you know it, it seemed to be a competitive match for large parts of it. Australia got lucky. Uh, we got unlucky with the disallowed goal. Um, the, uh, the the pitch at um, Stadium Australia was a goat track, to be fair. Um, to both sides, but uh, um, ultimately we couldn't get the job done. So, Gaddy, look, I'm just going to go straight to the jugular here. There's a lot of talk right now um, in the in the press, in the fallout. You've seen it all happen before um, about Graham Arnold. Um, there's suggestions uh, coming out of uh, sources at headquarters that um, that Arnie might get sacked and might not even be around for the final uh, two June qualifiers. Um, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, look, well, first you've got to say, you know, you couldn't knock the Socceroos' effort last night. They were, um, they really tried their hearts out. You could see the desperation in, in their game. Um, they fought all the way. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they ran into a red-hot Japanese side, a really, really good quality uh, team of the Japanese, some outstanding players who, you know, play in a lot of the good leagues around, around the world and obviously were a little bit un- under understaffed with the few missing like uh, Irvine and, and, and Rogic and, uh, you know, that didn't help our cause, but we were outplayed and uh, we certainly didn't deserve uh, anything from that game. Um, in terms of Ivani, yeah, the, apparently the drums are beating. They might they might uh, sack him before the uh, next next game against Saudi Arabia. I, I personally, look, Arnie's obviously got a lot, lot to answer for. You know, he'll, he'll put up his hand and say, yeah, you know, mistakes have been made, but to to get rid of him now, I think just doesn't make any any sense. To be honest, um, we'd have one game against Saudi Arabia, and then we've got a playoff against um, either uh, Iraq or, or, or Lebanon, I think it is, and or UAE. Um, oh, UAE, sorry, UAE or Iraq. I mean, there's no guarantee we'll win that game, so the new coach will only have had two games in in charge. I think. You know, and from what I understand, FA aren't really uh, fussed with, with finances either, so they'll have to pay Arnie out and find a new a new coach. Uh, I just don't think it makes any any sense. I think uh, we should let let it run its course, uh, let, let Arnie stay like, stay in charge for the Saudi game and and Iraq, and we'll see what happens from there. Arnie had a, a week to forget, didn't he? He tested positive for COVID. Um, a lot of people were asking the questions, how was that possible? Because he recently had COVID. He then got uh, sprung going for a swim. Um, I understand that the Federation is seething about that and that was sort of um, um, reflected in the in the fine, $25,000, very, very substantial. Uh, not the ideal preparation for arguably the biggest game in his coaching tenure of the Socceroos, would you agree? Yeah, Michael. Yeah, ab- absolutely disastrous. And you know, and obviously losing Irvine, more Moy and Rogic, you know, a heart of our our midfield, you know, through injury and COVID, that that just didn't help help at all. But uh, yeah, look, as, as as I said, Arnie, he made he made a mistake. Um, but he should shouldn't have gone gone for that swim. He he says he he got permission from two doctors. Um, but yeah, you know, to be honest, I think the, the twenty-five thousand dollar fine was way way over the top. I think it could have ha- been handled a little bit better. Um, but yeah, not the ideal preparation to go into a, a must-win, a miss-win, uh, must-win game. Uh, I spent the game last night uh, watching it with a lot of former Socceroos, and there was a lot of discussion after the game 
about development pathways, about um, uh, do we have the optimal um, route to the Socceroos for the elite talent? There's been a lot of reflections on the, you know, the golden generations of years gone by. Gaddy, I think you are the perfect person in Australian football to answer this question because you've been there and seen it all. Um, yep. What is your top-line view of um, the current crop of players uh, assessing their capacity and abilities compared to ones gone by? And are they at a standard because of the development system or are they just not as good as the previous guys? Combination of all, all of that, Michael. Look, um, those Socceroos you were with, I, I think they hit the nail on the head. Look, Australian soccer at the moment is a mess at every level from administration down to, to junior representative stuff. I mean, we're not producing or harnessing the, the young, young talent like we used to. You know, the golden generation days are long gone and it's a long way back to get to the, where we are. I mean, Asian football, the likes of Japan have overtaken us and now light years ahead of us. Uh, countries like Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, they're, they're all progressing and, 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 uh, and overtaking us. And we're, we're at a standstill. You know, we had the ideal opportunity with the golden generation to, to build on that, but we, but we didn't for, for whatever reason. Um, you know, our junior development systems are, are all, all over the place. Um, I think a lot of this started with uh, when we got rid of the football program at the AIS. I think that was a huge, huge blow. We've got to remember that AIS, AIS program produced the likes of Viduka, Moore, Aloisi, uh, Bresciano, Emerson, Lucas Nil, uh, Grella, and I think, and, and Skoko. That was the golden generation. That, that sort of, that sort of talent, you know, we would die for now. But, um, you know, since that program's gone, we're, we're not producing the talent we used to have. I mean, we're getting little splinters of talent like Arzani and 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 Tilio, who looks looks you know looks the goods. But where, you know, where's Arzani now? He just he just hasn't hasn't kicked on. And sad that we're trying to grab onto these little bits of talent here and there and trying to build them up and saying, oh, this this is going to be part of the next generation, but it, it's not happening. And you know. We'll need today, tomorrow, and the rest of the month to work out, yeah, all all the other problems that are afflicting the game at the moment. But uh, yeah, I I just think there's a whole range of issues that need to be addressed here. And it's well, let's let's look at the flip side of the coin. It's all not lost. We do have um, the playoff spot that we've earned. Um, we are the third best team in the group. Saudi and Japan um, have been better than us. Uh, they've been able to get results where we couldn't. So good luck to them and well done to them. But uh, on the flip side of the coin, I thought Mitchell Duke uh, was very, very good last night. And so was Arjun and Hussic. He's getting better every international game. If he, he has the capacity to, to, to turn into a real top liner and a, and a very important player for the Socceroos in years come by. Uh, debutant yep. Gianna Stensis, he had a few bright moments as well, but it's not all lost. We're still in the hunt. We've got um, some playoff games to look forward to. We know it's not going to be easy, but uh, we qualified for Russia that way as well. Well, we did, yeah. People tend to forget that when they're bagging Arnie, don't they? I mean, yeah, we, we had to go through the hard way, you know, 2018, and we were pretty lucky, I think, against Syria, a, a coat of paint prevented them from scoring. If they'd scored, we would have been out and wouldn't have even made the uh, next stage of the playoffs against Honduras. But, um, yeah, you're right. We've still got the UAE or, or Iraq and then maybe Peru or, 
or Colombia. It's going to be it's going to be a hard call, but to be honest, you know, we, if we can get Irvine and Moy and Rodgers back and you know uh, sort out our front line, then you know we can we can give it a shake. But uh, all all isn't lost. Um, you know, hopefully the fighting spirit of the Socceroos will prevail. Uh, we saw a bit of that last night, as I said. You know, they they fought for every inch of turf. They fought for every ball. They just came up against a very, very good, good team, and and were our class. But uh, yeah, with a with a stronger side, I, I think we could probably get past the UAE or, or Iraq. Time will tell. Well, Gaddy, let's take that positive point of view that, that you're going with, and and let's say Arnie doesn't get sacked, and uh, and he's got to get through uh, that match against either UAE or Iraq, or possibly even Lebanon, Lebanon, who are mathematically still a possibility, and then and go against one of those uh, South American sides that we've already discussed. I don't claim to be an expert of the level of you or or edge. I, I'm a an enthusiastic and passionate fan of the game and and what I saw to me last night looked like a very hesitant side who had very few opportunities to really uh, disrupt the Japanese playing style and when they had those chances they seemed to back off. The most obvious of them was when Marco Tilio came on probably a little too late um, to, uh, um, to really make a huge impact but he came on and made probably the best run of the game from either side and no sooner was he within sight of uh, of of the uh, of the goal then then the team backed off and for me like it seemed to be a, a a snapshot of of what we could have done in that game and that is perhaps start a young guy like him early to really put the japanese on the back foot and and to continue to press and go hard now obviously that um, that opens up holes at the back where you've got to uh, manage your defensive uh, position and, and not leak goals but you know you, you don't um, you don't win games against a, a, a team like japan unless you you're prepared to uh, to to really uh, have a go at some yeah. point yeah, Rob. Look, if um, if there is a bit of criticism of of, uh, of Arnie, yeah, um, maybe Chilio and Fornaroli could have come on a hell of a lot a lot earlier. But uh, I think we missed a key point here too, is we missed someone like Tommy Rogic, who's been brilliant for Celtic this season. He's great with the ball at his feet. He can he can create chances. He he runs at players. He takes them on and he can beat them. And he can sc- and he can score goals. I think if we had. Um, Someone like Tommy there last night, uh, it, it could have made a bit of a, a bit of a difference. But as I say, Japan are uh, so well organised, and um, they just seem to have us covered in in every position on on, on the field. But um, yeah, I, I think you know it's probably time now to to make some bold bold decisions and, and throw throw a guy like Tidio in from in from the start of a match and and see see what he can do. But as I said before, we're we're throwing all this pressure, all this burden on on young guys like Chilio and, and and Arzani, and expecting them to come up come up with the goods. And they've had very very little experience at the international level, and you know, some that sometimes they haven't even had much of a chance in in the A League as well. So, you know, where we go from there, I don't know. So, Gaddy, the last one is, uh, this is a complete hypothetical. We're not advocating one way or another. But if the Football Australia head honchos decide that Arnie's not the man to take us into these two qualifiers, I'll give you four names and I want you to choose one. Ante Miletic, Kevin Musket, Tony Popovich or Marcelo Bielsa. Who would you choose? Yeah, well, obviously I'd like to have uh, Bielsa there, but I don't think we've got the money to to entice him to come come out. I think if... 
if we somehow manage it and made the World Cup, uh, maybe he, he'd, he'd be he'd be a chance. But um, yeah, he, he he does stand out out of out of all of those. And um, of the other three, look, um, I think Popper or or Muskie would 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 do a good job. You know, if they were handed the reins, I'd have no um, no complaints if either of those were handed handed the job. Gaddy, well, look, Gat, Ray, I think we paid too much attention to your retirement, mate, because um, you, you've not missed a beat here since the last time we talked to you. So um, if, uh, you know, we, we would, from time to time, to, to call you to uh, provide, a, you know, an observation here or there, do you think you might still be able to pick up the phone, mate? Well, as long as I'm not out somewhere in the, with a boat in the middle of the lake, yeah, that's, that's fine. Any <laughs> anytime. And he hasn't, he hasn't put away his uh, opinion Totally, Rob. He hasn't put the cue in the rack. You've only got to follow Gaddy on Twitter to get a good dose oh, yeah. of uh, what he's thinking. Well, I might have to give um, Gaddy's number to my brother Kieran for uh, uh, for a review on politics. On oh yeah, you get a, you get a few oh, of those. Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> I'll be I'll be more than happy to talk about politics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to it having written about football politics for so long. I think they're one and the same. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, if you if you like what you heard from Gaddy just now, make sure you follow him on Twitter because you'll get plenty of it and more. Gaddy, stay well, mate. Um, you're in good form. Uh, it sounds like you're loving retirement, but uh, you know your interests uh, in football and politics and lots of other things are uh, are still keeping you very busy. So, uh, mate, uh, until we talk to you next time. Thanks. A pleasure. Pleasure, Rob. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Stick around uh, after the break. More Socceroos and more Matildas next with Willem on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Great talking to Gaddy just now. Um, we will talk more Socceroos and Matildas, of course, in a moment with Willem. But are you looking for half price off your vitamins? Well, half price is what you'll get on Centrum products right now at a course chemist warehouse. There's Centrum Beautiful and Bright 100 tablets, just $17.49. Centrum Advanced Multivitamin 100 tablets, $11.74. Centrum Calm and Collected 100 capsules for just $27.49. And Centrum Movement and Mobility. I think I need those for my knees right now. 100 tablets for $17.49. Remember, in addition to visiting your local store, you can click and collect to save time. Order online for delivery by Australia Post for free shipping on orders over $50 or call your local Chemist Warehouse store and ask for same-day home delivery. T's and C's charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse, where the great savings are every single day. Now, Edge, have you booked your flu vaccine yet? I haven't, Rob, but I've got a little note in my diary to do that because I'm due in the next two weeks to get my annual flu vaccine and uh, just another layer of protection for when I get on the road and travel around the world and not catch any of the uh, virus, uh, any of the flu virus that's flying flying around there. Excellent. All right, mate. We'll get down to your local chemist warehouse and do just that. All right, Willem, uh, I know you've had your jab, so uh, get stuck into uh, into your Socceroos and Matildas news if you can, brother. Will do, Rob. Socceroos and Matildas Central, of course, is for the Green and Gold Army. And you mentioned, Michael, that you'll be getting on a plane and flying around the world again. It's it's time, isn't it, now to put those plans in place to get to Qatar in June and cheer on the Socceroos in what's going to be a mighty challenge to reach the World Cup. Uh, it's going to be a great opportunity to sample Qatar and the Middle East ahead of time and see Australia play, hopefully, two matches against top class opposition with everything on the line so head to gga travel.com.au have you got a little update for us on those packages michael yes there will be a launch this week
weekend we'll have a tour that'll be uh, encapsulating both ends of the playoffs. Uh, the 7th of June match against either Iraq or the United Arab Emirates in Doha. And then on the 13th or 14th of June, we'll play either uh, Peru, Colombia or Chile uh, for a place in the World Cup. And we'll also capture um, the CONCACAF and Oceania uh, match, uh, which oh, will okay. no doubt be New Zealand, you would think, uh, yep. versus the um, unlucky team that's uh, got to play the Kiwis. So it could be the Yanks. Would be the Americans who are still spluttering in CONCACAF uh, qualifications. Let's have a look at how some of our Matildas went across uh, their club, uh, their clubs this week. The Women's FA Cup is down to its final stage, and there's plenty of Aussies in the running still. So uh, there is a Matilda representing each of the four remaining sides. Lydia Williams kept a clean sheet at Arsenal as they defeated Coventry United four nil. That set up a meeting with Chelsea, who kept Sam Kerr and Cotton Wool as they put five past Birmingham. But you'd expect they'd roll Sam out in the uh, the final. A couple of matches of that tournament as they did last year. On the other side of the draw, Mackenzie Arnold also kept a clean sheet for West Ham and Tamika Yellop came off the bench in a 1-0 win over Ipswich Town. And Alana Kennedy played 90 minutes for Man City in a 4-0 win over Everton. So a number of players there in the running to lift the Women's FA Cup. Those semi-finals will both be played on April the 17th. will be Arsenal against Chelsea and West Ham against Manchester City. Over in France, Lyon righted the ship with a 3-0 win over Dijon to remain top of the table with Ellie Carpenter setting up the second goal while Mary Fowler came came on for the last 25 minutes for Montpellier in a 6-0 win. A big story broke this week around uh, the future of Australian football. Uh, there's always much discussion around technical direction and junior pathway development. We've seen a lot of angst uh, in sort of missing out on Christian Volpato, bringing in Bruno Fornaroli, where are we at uh, from an existential uh, or sort of a whole picture point of view. And uh, Football Australia, as a result, have launched a global search for a chief football officer uh, to reshape the game and work alongside the Federation to push through structural reform and review those development pathways. James Johnson told the nine papers the appointment would not come in place of a new full-time technical director, uh, which has been vacant since Rob Sherman departed the role in March 2020. Uh, Johnson said the concept of a chief football officer has been inspired by the position of Arsene Wenger at FIFA. Michael, what do you make of this? Well, have you got about five hours to talk about this, Willem? Because um, there was a lot of discussion uh, after the game last night, even before the game, about um, the development pathways that are currently in place and whether they have served us well. You'd have to say off the top of just off the back of last night's result that uh, they have um, they're under great stress and uh, we're not getting the players of the quality that uh, we did have in years gone by. Um, so that is a big question. Um, I think. Uh, the words we use that uh, they think they they need a disruptor to come in and someone with a a, a big mandate and a and a big um, uh, job to realign the um, the talent and uh, development pathways to get the maximum opportunities. Uh, I think uh, when I talked to some very um, experienced and knowledgeable people last night at the game, uh, former Socceroos players union rep reps and uh, people that have been involved in the administration of the game there is a a sense of that the job is so huge where do you start um, that it is need a, a full root and branch review of it and i think the big question is um the a-league club academy programs where most of the good men's talent end up are they the right mechanisms to deliver what we need um, and I think that is a hard, a hard question to answer in succinctly, but probably not. I'm very much in favour of young players going to ploy their trade in Europe. Um, like uh, years gone by, I still think that gets the best outcomes for the national team. And I have question marks over the capacity and quality of the A-League 
academy programs. And I think you only have to look at uh, the Y League, for example, which last year was eight matches as a great example of how um, the people uh, who are making policy in these areas have let us all down. And what about the words push through structural reform? You'd think that would uh, be in reference to the domestic transfer system, which the FA want to sort of impose. And James Johnson's been quite aggressive publicly in his messaging uh, that they could impose that without the uh, the say-so of the APL and the, the PFA, who are, of course, the other two parties uh, involved in this, given they've got their uh, their collective bargaining agreement. It's only one year into a, a five-year deal. So do we? is that is that constructive? Is that healthy uh, rhetoric to be putting out there? Well, I think there is a feeling uh, by people in the game who have knowledge and experience that there is uh, quite a change required to really pretty much go back to the drawing board and have a look at uh, what some of the successful federations around the world have deployed. Um, however, our market is different. Um, our player pool is different. Um, I think there's lots of issues, and this is why it's not an easy not an easy topic to succinctly talk about. There's issues like um, players having to pay for NPL uh, positions in junior programs up to three and four thousand dollars a year. You know there is issues about um, access uh, fairly to the elite programs if you're talented enough. There's issues around quality of coaching, uh, philosophies of how the games play. There's issues around um, the access to reliable and good competition. There's views on how many games a young player should play every year that are more than 30. Some of them are only playing 15 or 16. Uh, we don't train um, long enough or hard enough. You know, Strength and conditioning standards are slipping. I mean, there is so much to talk about, Willem, that uh, this is a very big job. And without a unity of leadership in this space, uh, I think you get what we have at the moment. And uh, that is something to reflect deeply about for everybody who cares for the sport. Rob, let's cut a little bit of A-League men's to, uh, to round out. We're going to speak about the A-League women's grand final with Steph Brant in just a moment. But before we get there, 350 games for Lee Broxham. What a servant of Melbourne victory and of domestic Australian football that he's been. Uh, it's, a, it's a well-loved and a well-told story that he was the kit man in the first season as a youngster and then he's been uh, a player every single season since. He's been there for every little bit of silverware. Uh, and it's uh, it's great to watch his, uh, his triplets grow up as well. They spend a fair bit of time out on the pitch. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, a word, a word for Broxy. Yeah, he's been uh, a talisman, really, hasn't he, for for victory since those early days, and and when he's he's finished his career, it'll uh, be a career like no other, really, won't it? To to start off, as you say, like the the kit boy in the dressing room, to uh, to rise to the point where he played for Australia in two thousand and eight. He's he's been capped as a Socceroo as well. Uh, he's 34 years old. He's a diminutive player, just five foot uh, seven, but um, you know, just a great story. Uh, um, he's uh, he's been through uh, all of the eras of of victory, winning premierships and championships, and uh, playing Asian Cups and and everything you could possibly do in the domestic uh, competition since 2005, six uh, right through. So he's one of those players that uh, once he's gone, there'll be, there'll really never be another like him, will there? No, there won't be. There won't be. Edge. What about the sacking of Richard Garcia, uh, Perth? bottom having lost their last seven uh, we know the difficulty that they've faced over the past really through the uh, through this the extent of uh, of Garcia's reign uh, he's come uh, he's going to be replaced by Ruben Zadkovic who said Andy Keogh is going to be the captain so I'm not really sure that's taking the club in a new direction uh, what do we think of the uh, the sacking of Garcia how uh, that is uh, got to be the most unluckiest sacking of all time I mean Perth glory how many I, I reckon it's pretty harsh 85 days on the road um, not being able to go back to Perth no home games 
Um, I think they did two or three stints in quarantine because of state rules and getting caught in various uh, states uh, around games. Um, COVID outbreaks, I mean, that is a very harsh decision. The mail I have is that Andy Keogh's family have a massive, massive business in Perth. And um, my mail is that they are close to making an offer for the club. And, uh, that's oh, got well. bit, and that's got a bit to do with it as well. So I think there is some politics uh, back there. Um, there is some disputes going on between Perth Glory and uh, where they play their home games at uh, NLV Stadium um, over some fees that are owed. So, yeah, look, there is some difficulties in Perth. And, uh, yeah, um, who knows what's going on there. So the official version of all of that is, I think, uh, Richie Garcia. Hard done by. Okay, Rob, back to you. And then on the other side, looking forward to hearing what uh, Steph has to say. Absolutely. Well done, Willem. I couldn't have said it better myself. Stephanie Brett's next <laughs> on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most Yes, this is Box to Box, and in a very, very busy week for football, uh, we are now going to launch into our preview of the the A-League Women's Grand Final, the first A-League Women's Grand Final after the name change, Uh, but it is a repeat of last year's Grand Final, and at the same venue between Melbourne Victory and Sydney FC, the uh, champions, um, well, from last year versus the the Premiers from, from this year in a... Um, in what hopefully will be a, um, an equally thrilling game. And to talk to us about it uh, is Stephanie Branch. How are you, Steph? Really well, thanks, gents. Uh, too much football is never enough, of course. Yeah, or that's it. Warren HG, they always said too much football is barely enough. <laughs> but, um, look, Jeff Hopkins, um, he's um, he's something of an enigma in, in in Australian women's football. He's just the, the diesel engine of coaching, doesn't isn't he? He just keeps on keeping on. And uh, somehow or other, after victory looked down and out at one point late in the season, uh, they've bounced back. They've knocked off Melbourne City, who who really, by right, should have been in the grand final, but for uh, um, a late fade out and comeback from Sydney FC in the grand final qualifier a couple of weeks ago um we're really set for a bumper aren't we yeah we really are we've uh, literally got a grand final rematch and anyone that remembers the dying seconds and kyra cooney cross's contribution last year will know that sydney fc are not going to go down without a fight they really want redemption for what happened last season and do you know what? It's going to be a fantastic battle. Melbourne victory's fight back. As you said, Jeff Hopkins, he's fantastic. I've always had a, a lot of respect and admiration for what Jeff does with his teams, both in Victoria and, and of course, uh, the victory lost him to, to Brisbane for a short time. But he's been fantastic with them and he knows how to get the best out of a side. Coming from fourth on the table, they've had to get past uh, Adelaide, who had a, a blockbuster season and then Melbourne City uh, to be able to fight for that right to meet Sydney FC in this grand final who they trailed by 11 points on the table in the regular season and there's a 26 goal goal difference in Sydney's favour so they'll be up against it but they know what happened last year and they're looking at it from their perspective. Well they certainly are it is the grudge match uh, New South Wales versus Victoria the two heavyweights of the competition um, and it's there's sort of stories within stories right through this one one um, story that I think is absolutely crucial to this game is the who wins in the midfield and Melbourne Victory have uh, Alex Chidiak and Kyra Cooney-Cross and Sydney Hawkesbury and Rachel Lowe um, and Sarah Hunter made an impact off the bench last week so I'm just wondering Steph how you think 
that head-to-head battle in the midfield, the two attacking midfielders from both teams. I think Rachel Lowe's had a very, very good year, as has Hawkesbury and Chidiak. She was the energising bunny last week. She just uh, appeared everywhere. If you looked at her heat map, she was all over the field. Yeah, the the midfields are strong for both sides and uh, two of the names you mentioned there, of course, Rachel Lowe and Alex Chidiak have had uh, seasons overseas uh, in the past and since they've come back from abroad, we've we've watched them just get stronger and stronger. Uh, I've sort of been looking at the Battle of the Courtneys. Um, yeah, that's a good one too, yeah. Because of the, uh, the two Matildas players and... Yeah, Courtney Vine, she's been such a weapon for uh, for Sydney when she's on her game and what she did in the semifinals just shows how, well, literally scary she can be because she came in under an injury cloud and, and just broke the game open uh, for, for Sydney FC. But Courtney Nevin, on the other hand, is uh, equally willing to put a stop to her and they may actually come face to face so that that one intrigues me as well i think there's a lot of uh, a lot of great battles melina Ayres is another one who's sort of uh, come into uh, the latter end of the season and just been incredible yeah that, that's a big one the two number nines we talk about them a lot they work through their development pathways similar melina a victorian remy seamson uh, a new south wales uh, and they've been battling each other for um positions in their under 16 and under 20 national teams and now they're doing it to, at the senior level and uh, they are very different players you know Remy being a, a sharp shooter from inside the box but Molina uh, drops a lot deeper and um, and gets involved in build up quite a bit too so uh, that's a really exciting battle um, and uh, you know Molina is um, she's well and truly on top of her form at the moment isn't she? Yeah she really is and uh you know, it was late coming into it as well because uh, she'd been uh, missing almost the entirety of the season uh, thanks to her injury, but her, her cameo in Victory's last game of the season was, was amazing. She's just back with a bang, scored twice in two, and what a time for her to be hitting her straps. I mean, I remember when Melina Ayres was playing for Melbourne City and we're talking yeah. about the youngster and, and the newcomer, and it seems difficult to believe that now she's really a veteran of this league. At, and 20, at 22 years of age, yeah. a veteran. <laughs> in the women's game, that is a veteran, <laughs> especially when we see them starting at 15 and 16. Uh, but her physicality as well, I think she's really uh, learned how to use her body and and be able to be such a force up top. She may be the one that makes a difference for the victory. Yeah, she could. Um, uh, the other big battle is on the other flank. You mentioned the Courtney's, Vine and Nevin. Well, the other side will be Princess Abini and Polly Doran. And Abini gets, um, she's played a lot of football this year for Sydney. And uh, she is important. Um, her runs are important. And she's maturing as well. And uh, talk about someone who uses her body well. I mean, they are quite different players on those uh, flanks for, or you know, up, up forward for, for Sydney. Vine with just pure, pure spark and pace. And Abini... Uh, yeah, I mean, she's not slow, but she's uh, a very physical player. Yeah, and I, I've got to admit that I, I think we're yet to see the best from Princess Abini. There's always uh, huge expectations around her, and, and I think sometimes uh, it is felt that maybe she hasn't quite delivered on what's expected of her, but I know she has that talent, and you see flashes of just uh, an extraordinary player, and when she's feeling confident, and I think she has been building in confidence, that's where she becomes really dangerous and, and perhaps a little bit more bold in, in what she does in that final third. Um, 
one last one from me, and then Rob can um, ask you about the, the tip. And uh, but oh, I just no, want to get a no, no. no you did, I think you um, I think you tipped correctly last year uh, when we had this conversation, Steph. But yeah, I just wanted you to reflect until the ninety third minute. That's right, it did. Yeah, it did extra time. Um, tell me, I'm just interested in your views of the A League women, um, how it's developing generally. Um, there's a lot of talk about. Uh, what's the next step in the evolution of the A-League women competition? Mm. Some people say more teams. Some people say a longer season. Um, some people say um, increasing the uh, foreign player quotas. I mean, what what do you think is the most important next step in the development of this competition, which for me is starting to capture the imagination of uh, you know, the, the football community uh, in a big way. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it, gents? It's probably the million dollar or $23 million question. Uh, what do you do with the, the A-League women to, to bring it back to the highs of, of a number of years ago when all of our first-team Matildas were playing and it was actually uh, one of the chosen leagues uh, around the world. Uh, now we don't have that partnership with the NWSL in America, whereby our players play year round between the two leagues. Uh, we've lost, oh, I think it's 40 plus players uh, to European leagues. So it's been really tricky to find an identity for our women's league. Um, I quite liked the W League. I thought it was a great brand and I am still yet to understand why uh, we equalized them in name because I feel like it made it a little bit homogenous but that's all by the by it doesn't change that the league itself I think a home and away season is still what we're craving whether that's with more teams less teams I don't care but it should be a fair season when you play every team once at home and once away I think that's just the the very basics for a league whether it needs to be longer it would be great, uh, particularly if it's going to be a pathway through from uh, grassroots into NPLW, uh, come into the A-League women and then go on to the Matildas or the uh, age group national teams. I think there needs to be more football. The problem is with that we need to look at increasing the pay because uh, I think it's been seen a number of times throughout the season that the women, if the season were longer, perhaps won't be able to afford to play because they can take the time away from uh, their, uh, let's say, more reliably paid work to play football for, you know, two, three, three and a half months. But if it became longer, they'd really have to weigh up, you know, can you take a full-time job for, for 50 grand? Is that going to let you buy a house and live the life you, you, you would like to live? And, you know, if you're 15 or 16, yeah, that's fantastic. What about the girls who are 23, 24, 25 and, and wanting to do things like purchase property and, and those sorts of things? That's where it becomes really, really tricky. So I think if you're going to increase the length of the season, then you also need to increase the financial uh, return or gain for our players. And, and that's a question for much smarter heads than mine. I'd like to see more bums on seats next season and uh, I'm... Yeah, I, I'm not sure of the exact viewership, but uh, we really need to increase the appetite for women's football. If we can't do that in a year that we are co-hosting a World Cup, then there's something seriously wrong with our women's game, and, and I think it deserves better.
Yeah, look, that's a massive uh, series of, of propositions that you. Yeah, can you fix all of that? Yeah, no, but it's, <laughs> no, it's it, it is because it, it shows the the level of knowledge that you have about the the whole cultural context of the women's game in this country. From, well, it's just not know, simple, is it? No, no, it's not at all because uh, you know these are people uh, who are as passionate about playing their game as any man playing um, in any league around the world, and um, and for for you know um, decades, if not you know, the better part of a century of professional sport. Um, women have been uh, on the back foot. So I think it's beholden upon the men's game to understand that, understand the, the natural advantage that they've had for so long and to, to do whatever can be done to uh, to help finance the uh, the fast-track growth of uh, the women's game. So yeah, for sure. And there's, there is also a, an argument that every A-League team should have a, a female counterpart and and mm. I agree with that as well but we really need to look at the, at the fixture list and I, I still have not had it explained to me why we can't have a home and away season I mean yeah. we've got a, a league in Saudi Arabia that was set up it's semi-pro uh, I think the players probably still play for free but the women this is the first year that they're allowed officially into a public league and they started with 16 teams in a home and away season and it's like <laughs> why can't we do that <laughs> yeah yeah look we're pretty good at pointing the finger aren't we so but, uh, but they weren't allowed to play yes, <laughs> two years <exactly>. ago <laughs> yeah, no, no. well what they say when they when you're pointing the finger there's always four fingers pointing back at you so uh, <laughs> exactly um, if, yeah maybe we need to, to look at our own backyard a little bit more but on to uh well more matters more close at hand we've been talking about the grand final obviously um it just flagged this too uh, and so we are going to put you on the spot stephanie um uh you got it right last year unexpectedly um, mm -hmm. victory managed to get that um that late uh, go ahead goal and won the grand final beat the uh, the premiers can they do it again this year or to sydney um take what they think is rightfully theirs and, and do the double no look i hope i don't put the mockers on them but i think it'll be sydney fc's 2-0 uh, i think they've been too strong this season and they're going to deliver that because they got burnt last year and and mm. not one of the players that experienced that wants to go through that again mm. uh, what the only thing I'm curious about is that they had that extended break and I was confused as to why the grand final wasn't going to be last weekend. Uh, so Melbourne victory could be a little bit more weary or will they be battle-hardened? And I wonder if that makes a difference where Sydney FC, instead of turning fresh, have gone off the boil. And I, I hope for their sake it doesn't happen because I, I think they deserve it. They've had a stellar season and they totally deserve to do the double. Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll find out at four o'clock, or at least maybe six thirty. <laughs> don't don't, don't call me back. <laughs> <laughs> we will. Steph, look, you're always generous with your time. We love listening to what you just, uh, you uh, uh, what you have to say. Um, you've been following um, you know uh, the women's game for for many years now, and uh, and know uh, the insides and outs of it as much as, as anybody. And uh, and you're never afraid to give an opinion. So uh, thanks again for for joining us, and enjoy the grand final on Sunday. Absolute pleasure to join you as always. Uh, enjoy the match. I think it's going to be an absolute belter. And yeah, always a treat to chat, guys. Good on you, Stephanie Brands, as always. One of the best in the business. Uh, stick around. Stoppage time next. We're going to wrap it all up on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box and the World Cup qualification post-mortem continues. We've done the Socceroos within an inch of its life so far, but there is plenty more to talk about. Uh, European style, South American as well, even Africa too. Uh, Derek, you were watching this one closely, obviously, uh, as uh, a man from the uh, the greatest of Great Britain uh, 
you would have been happy to see Gareth Bale do what he did, but you must have just been absolutely as shocked as the rest of us when you saw that result against um, Northern Macedonia for Italy. Yes, thanks, Rob, and hello, gents. The Italy result was certainly one that no one was expected. They they have had a pretty torrid time in terms of qualification, and uh, but they were very much expected to win this game. I think the thing that I suppose struck me the most was that these are all knockout games. Uh, you almost feel like this, you know, there should be a second leg, and maybe Italy would get that second opportunity again to do that. And that is obviously UEFA's prerogative, and at most times is to keep the big teams uh, in the in the tournaments. But this was knockout football. Italy should have um, should have been easily done the job at home. But that the strike at the end there from the player who had actually spent quite a bit of his time at Palermo. He obviously knew all the angles and the intricacies of the stadium and and they will now go on and, and face um, Portugal. We all thought it was an Italy-Portugal show down edge. Italy not going to the tournament, is that uh, a huge blow? And, uh, you know, just for football generally, and how do you reflect on that result? Well, I went there last time, were they? Um, what would you rather, if you're an Italian fan, Derek, would you rather... Um bomb out in the Euros and make the World Cup or win the Euros and not make the World Cup. I think they would rather bomb out of the Euros and make the World Cup, wouldn't they? Um, look, yeah, they'd have to be shattered and shocked and the great um, footballing nation that Italy is, you know, they're uh, very proud of the way that they strut around the world and uh, show off uh, how many uh, World Cups they've won, all that sort of stuff. But uh, they were, um, although they had a lot of possession and if you looked at the stats, they dominated the game. Uh, they couldn't get the job done and uh, they'll be eating their uh, rigatoni um, from Rome rather than uh, uh, having the lamb shawarma in Doha come December this year. Yeah, they certainly will. And you said they have experience of sitting out these tournaments. I think, you know, you ask a team like England, you know, they definitely would rather win the Euros than not uh, and not qualify for the odd tournament. I think Italy are a proud nation. I still think that this is a disaster, the usual hyperbole in Gazzetta dello Sport. I wonder, Rob um, Mancini, he's delivered the silverware. He should be a the sort of guy they're building statues of. Do you think he can keep hold of his job after this? Italy missing one World Cup is bad enough. Um, though, you know, you say, should, should he keep his job after winning the Euros? You know, how can you sack him on the strength of one um, individual result in a in a qualification campaign that was uh, you know as tough as there exists in the world. Uh, you know, I, I sort of feel like you know we've talked enough about um, the potential for Graham Arnold getting sacked from the Socceroos uh, under our circumstances, but but where to from here? I mean, the next campaign um, begins pretty much straight away for, for the next Euros. They're the defending champions. Um, I, I almost think coming off uh, the the title, um, the Euros title, that um, that he that he has to be forgiven and um, and and they have to give him another opportunity. But um, they're Italians and. Uh, there are, I would say, are they going to do it? No, probably not. You mentioned Wales off the top of this segment as well. And look, they had a, a fabulous game over Austria. They they used their home advantage uh, to great effect. Um, Gareth Bale, you know, he's effectively the only player that's retired from club football to focus on his national team. Well, basically, I think he gets about 20 minutes uh, here or there for, for Real Madrid every fortnight. He certainly spends more time on the golf course and in a Wales shirt than he does in a Madrid shirt these days. But two absolutely outstanding goals. The free kick was sumptuous. Only 
Gareth Bale can really hit the ball like that with the trajectory and the dip and the swerve and the, the goalkeeper had absolutely no chance and the second one sweeping it in wasn't bad either. The it ended 2-1. Austria did make it competitive with Sabitzer getting a goal. A little bit nervy there, but they will play the winner of my team, Scotland and Ukraine. A big, a big um, if that game goes ahead. Of course, Steve Clark has come out this week and says he's not even sure that game will now uh, take place in June. So we'll wait to see uh, what, what ends up happening there. But Wales have put themselves in the box seat for a, for a, for a chance at, at Qatar. Uh, as have Sweden, who will now play Poland. Of course, Poland were given the result over Russia, who have been barred from the tournament. And uh, Sweden um, getting an extra time winner there in, in their game against the Czechs to uh, to put them in the mix for that as well. So, you know, loads of drama, as we said, over these over these uh, one-legged affairs, Rob, and we'll um, we'll see where we, we get to with uh, the final European lineup. It's going to be uh, fascinating to watch how those all play out in the next week. Um, the African World Cup qualifiers are, uh, are coming to their conclusion as well over the next couple of days. Five spots for uh, for the uh, the African uh, continent. So we've got DR Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo v Morocco, Cameroon v Algeria, Egypt v Senegal, Mali versus Tunisia, Ghana and Nigeria. So they have the home and away leg. So it's the, the best across the two legs that get through, unlike um, Italy. But then again, of course, um, Italy through the European um, uh, qualification through UEFA, they uh, you know they they had the opportunity to fish top of the group, and then their second chance was the one that was the one-legged tie. And Rob, if I can just jump in quickly, Concacaf, there's a developing story there. Costa Rica at home are beating Canada one 0 Canada's had a player sent off. They're still playing that matches we are recording the program, um, but that dials Costa Rica into uh, Mexico and USA are currently. Uh, playing at Azteca and it's a draw. If those results hold up, Costa Rica hosts America in the last um, fixture and they have a better goal difference. Uh, and that uh, could mean Costa Rica jump over Mexico and USA drop to fourth and uh, would have uh, to qualify through the player for it. So a bit of a developing story in, uh, in CONCACAF as we record. Yeah, that is a massive story. And well, then what about um, South America? Um, obviously, uh, uh, games played today as we speak. So, uh, uh, so are several teams still in play to to be the team that uh, either Australia or the other third uh, group uh, position from uh, from uh, the uh, the Asian qualification round. Yeah, so heading into the final match day, four of the five spots are locked in. Brazil and Argentina have been uh, been confirmed for some time. They've been joined by Colombia after they had a 3-0 win over Bolivia and Uruguay after a 1-0 win over Peru. Uh, so that leaves Peru in fifth, currently in the hot seat to, uh, to go through to those intercontinental playoffs. They're on 21 points and next up they'll play Paraguay at home. Uh, in sixth at the moment is Colombia on 20 points. They have Venezuela away. And in seventh is Chile on 19 points. And they have Uruguay at home. So it looks tough for Chile in seventh, although there's always that uh, counterpoint that maybe Uruguay take the foot off and play some other players having qualified. Uh, but it, you could probably say that Chile are out of it. Uh, Peru, oh, and then Peru, uh, yeah, currently sitting fifth, 21 points. And Colombia, sixth on 20. Thank you, Willem. Uh, okay, well, let's move on from the World Cup qualification. More on that next week uh, because there will have been a lot more games and uh, final results uh, by then but uh, Derek um, we did touch on this one at the top of the show and, and want to talk a little bit more about it but it's the Euro 2028 
qualifications so somehow or other through uh, through decisions which haven't been made at an international football level Russia are still able to apply so let's assume they're allowed to go through the process which uh, we don't think they will but uh, it's it's quite a bizarre set of circumstances when at one point the uh, the England Ireland bid seemed to be the only one uh, in contention football's coming home isn't it boys are you all excited <laughs> excited about that we saw glorious scenes uh, across England and particularly outside on the concourse of Wembley Stadium of uh, England fans behaving themselves and enjoying enjoying the good-natured um, feel of these kinds of tournaments. So, you know, I'm sure everyone is excited to, to see that. Now, it's a really strange one because, you know, often, you, know you don't often get these um, tournaments where you only have one person going for it. So I think that, that says something potentially about just the economy, um, economic factors around hosting a tournament. It probably is not as seen as a, a bigger... Uh, a coup to win one of these things as it as it must have been if England or the UK and Ireland as this bid is um, are going to get a clean run at it. it it shows you that either hosting these tournaments are just not seen as as exciting or viable as they once were there's maybe also a bit of um, fatigue of the politics around these kinds of processes as well but as you said UK and Ireland have expressed their interest uh, by all accounts Ireland weren't totally across that decision either so um brig brother uk looks like they just got the umbrella out and hoiked them into the into the bid maybe trying to uh, bring some of that goodwill that ireland certainly bring to major tournaments and their fans bring to to major tournaments to, to embolden that bid they do have a couple of good stadiums in ireland but you know i'm not sure whether uk or england needed that it's a, it's a strange one even in itself and then you know, Russia doing the ultimate trolling here, really, aren't they? Said coming in and, and putting a challenge in too. But apparently, they will get further sanctions against them from a football point of view if they are um, told to uh, if they do proceed with this this bid. So it is likely that UK and Ireland will be getting Euro twenty twenty eight. And leaving aside edge, the um, you know, I'm sure the ambivalence from here in Australia of whether England, quote unquote, deserve uh, a major tournament or whether the UK does. How do you feel about the abandoning of that multi-city option? Is that something that you think actually is something that, that UEFA could have continued rather than having these host countries? I didn't like that it was all over the joint in Europe. I know there was a special yeah. celebration last time, but I think it's regional. It's good, you know, like, you know, Ireland, England, Wales, and Scotland, for example, that, that that's a good idea. As would maybe, um, you know, France and Germany at some point. I, I tend to like that. I, I do like um, when the tournament's held in a in a region, in, in a cluster of cities, rather than through the breadth of Europe. And what do you think? Just, I'm sure I, I didn't hear you off the top edge, but uh, you know, thoughts on England hosting a major tournament so soon after some of the scenes we saw recently with the Euros? No, 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 I'm not happy with that. <laughs> mm. Well, maybe Turkey gets it by default. I don't know what they're, they're going to do. They're, they're bidded for really every other World Cup and Euros uh, over the last 50 years. They're forever the bridesmaid. You know, football is football. I mean, it's not... Uh, uh, UEFA is not uh, the United Nations or the Arab League or whatever you want to call it. Or, um, you know, football is football. England need to be held account for what was disgusting and disgraceful management of the... Uh, of the semi-final that they played against Denmark uh, in relation to their fans crashing the stadium, and of course the they need to be they need to be a held account for that. Worse. 
and of course the final against Italy, which was even yeah. worse. The, uh, yeah. the, uh, the sort of denouement of the entire tournament, which was uh, one of the greatest embarrassments in international football since uh, a ball was first kicked. Yeah, it doesn't even even as someone that's sort of notionally um, English or an English follower, it doesn't entirely sit well with me. So I, I would be interested to see where UEFA actually go with this, whether another country is encouraged to take part. I certainly don't think it's going to be uh, Russia, though. I don't see how in the short term they will be um, invited to, to host to host another tournament. Well, they can't. It's, it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's a political move by the Russian Football Union yeah. to play this card. I think it's a joke. Um, they're not going to get it. But I'll just leave you with one reflection. Russia did a better job in 2018 than England did uh, at 2020. Uh, 2020 just put it put it that way oh i'm sure I, i'm sure i'm sure um just wrapping things up rob i know um the ref's looking at his whistle and it is the end of stoppage time uh the Chel just on the chelsea line just for a sec um there have been some developments there the, the uh, club now can sell away fan uh tickets albeit they can't sell tickets for home games but there's a bit a bit of pressure eased and it will allow chelsea to have fans traveling to those games, um, which I suppose will add a little bit of balance to those um, fixtures. The, uh, the, they've also allowed the current owners of the club, which ultimately is Obrovan Abramovich, to put in another thirty million to help with their cash flow situation. They didn't have a lot in the piggy bank when they started, and uh, um, as in, you know, they had thirty or forty million. But when you've got players on wages that they have, that all disappears very quickly. So they're liquid for the foreseeable future and certainly until all this interest has um, been sorted out. Lots and lots of US bids. I think it will be interesting to see if it is going to be one of those. We've got a couple of US owners in um, Premier League already. I'm sure Rob's very happy with his uh, US owners. Arsenal, uh, me and Edge, maybe you know, warming to Stan because he, he has been doing some some better stuff recently. It's although thawing, isn't it? Thawing. <laughs> Let's just say it's thaw certainly better than the other one, which would have been Uzmanov, who who tried to take the club over. What an absolute disaster that would have been. Um, Derek, is, is US billionaire Woody Johnson, is he still in the hunt for Chelsea? They all are, yeah. All, all the uh, the cub the Cubs um, the Cubs owner uh, is 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 in there in particular. So yeah, the the Yanks like running their clubs a certain way, and it is geared towards success, but it is also geared towards good economics and good business. I don't think it will be the same kind of um, manager, um, so the same kind of style to. Um, uh, to Roman Abramovich, so we'll just we'll just have to to Can see. Can I give you a, a bit of a little like ten second background? Woody Johnson, he is a PhD. In other words, parents had dough. He's the great grandson mm. of the founder of Johnson and Johnson. He yeah. owns the NFL franchise New York Jets, and he presided over the longest run of any NFL team in history to not make the NFL playoffs. And of course. He just so happens to be a mate of Donald Trump who appointed him as the US ambassador to the UK in 2017. So Chelsea fans, before you swallow all of that, maybe the grass is greener on the other side. And yeah, Rob, just one thing. I'm going to do something I don't I do not do normally and that's praise a uh, ex-Tottenham player, Jermaine Defoe, has finally hung up his boots. Uh, he had a stunning career uh, playing for the likes of West Ham, Bournemouth, Tottenham, Portsmouth. He played 624 games and he scored mm. 227 goals. That's one goal every three games. That's pretty good going, even if he is an ex-Spurs guy. Well done, Jermaine. 
That must that's very big of you as a, an Arsenal fan to to give a, a former Tottenham man such a, a big rap. So that must tell you how Arsenal's going right now. So they're clearly going well <laughs> that you have uh, within you to to praise him. So congratulations for your your magnanimity there, Derek. You're still there. You don't you have got no response. <laughs> All right. No. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, see you later. Well done. Great uh, great show again this week. Um, by the time we uh, talk next week, we'll be getting ready for a return to club football. Yeah, absolutely. See you next week, gents. Uh, Michael, enjoy the women's grand final on Sunday. It's going to be a, bu- a, a ripper, and hopefully the weather clears a little bit um, and, and we see an excellent, uh, uh, oh, let's say, repeat of last year's uh, grand final and, um, and equally exciting. Yeah, I'm sure it will be full of uh, drama and jeopardy and a whole range of different other emotions. Uh, good luck to both teams and all the women that are uh, playing in, in what's probably uh, one of the biggest games of their lives. Absolutely, and well, and well done. Uh, you travel back from Sydney. I know you're not happy, but um, yeah, we'll see. Have you, you dry it out, Willem? Have you have you dried out? Uh, I have, Michael. And uh, and you know why I was sitting out in the outer particularly wet, but that's all right. We'll move on and we'll go again for next week, Rob. Okay, well, that's a bit of an in-joke, but uh, we may be unraveling yeah. for you next week uh, if you're listening to the show then. Okay, Damo, <laughs> thank you, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling your pain. Um, it's not going to go away anytime soon. But just to make you feel a little bit more painful, um, I'm just going to uh, throw to the way the Macedonians uh, called the game um, – when uh, when they historically beat Italy, uh, uh, it just uh, was amazing. Okay, so uh, we do hope you join us next week from Box to Box before we play that little grab. And uh, we do hope that you get to uh, subscribe to us, uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game. <laughs> يا سلام